Good morning. We're glad you guys are here this morning. In the last several weeks, we have been in a series called Defining Moments. And hopefully one thing that you were able to kind of grab some handles on is this. All of us, everybody say all of us, all of us have moments in life. And the question is, now what do those moments do to us, but how do we respond to those moments? See, it's how we respond to the moments of life that define and shape the trajectory of our lives. How many of you in the room today are married? Let me see your hands. Okay. Awesome. Put them down. How many of you are happy married? Let me know. I'm just kidding. Okay. So you're married, right? Right, right. There you go. So there was a moment in your life as the guys, probably, in the moment in your life you go, I think I kind of love her. And I think I want to love her for the rest of my life. And I think I'm going to go out and spend an exorbitant amount of money on a ring that's hopefully going to stay on her finger the rest of our life. And so you go do that. And there's that moment where probably if they were able, they get on their knees or knee or somehow posture down and, and say, will you marry me? And hopefully your experience wasn't quite like mine where it took some time to answer and say yes. But at that moment, she had a moment where she had to make a decision, yes or no. Now, here's my point is, I've been married next month. I'll be married. Sonia, I'll be married 25 years. Now, the re, there was a moment. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, thank you. There was a moment 25 years ago where I persuaded her into saying yes. And here we are 25 years later. That moment and how she responded to that moment has shaped and defined the trajectory of our lives for 25 years. The same thing is true for all of us. It's not about the moments in life. It's about how do we respond to the moments in life. That's what shapes us. That's what defines us. That's what sets us on the course in our lives, not only in life, but spiritually. You are at spiritually exactly the place you have set your life to be. If you are unhappy with where you're at spiritually, you only have one person to look at and point the finger, and it's yourself. If you're walking closely with the Lord, it didn't happen by accident. Somewhere along the line, you had moments where you made decisions that put you on that path. And so we've been talking about defining moments and how people respond to those moments. Now, over the last few weeks, we've seen a lot of different moments. We've seen Peter had some pretty powerful moments. And then last week, we saw this moment that the crowd had to make a decision. This crowd that had followed Jesus, and they heard these religious leaders saying that if you want to be clean before God, here's what you have to do. You have to keep man-made traditions. And Jesus goes, no, man, that's all wrong. If you want to be clean and pure before God, it has nothing to do with man-made traditions. It has everything to do with the condition of your heart. And that crowd right there on that day had to make a decision. That moment, how would they respond? Would they choose to respond and continue down the path the Pharisees were teaching about man-made traditions? Or would they choose to abandon that and go with what Jesus said and take care and call into question their hearts? There was a moment. And today we're going to see a moment. Maybe one of my favorite moments, I'll take that back, next week is my favorite moment. But this week is one of my favorite moments. It's a moment between Jesus and a Canaanite woman. It's a moment where she had something happen to her that was so tragic. And the question is, you look at this story, this tragic story, something that happened to her that as, as a parent, we would never want to happen to us, a moment where she had happened to her, and we have to ask the question, how will she respond? Because this moment... And how she responds will shape and determine the trajectory of her life. So if you have Bibles, Matthew chapter 15 is where we're going to be. And I know you just sit down, but I'm going to ask you to stand with me one more time in honor of reading God's word. Matthew chapter 15. I'll begin reading in verse 21. If you're glad to be here this morning, say amen. 
I'm telling you, there's no better place to be than right here. Matthew chapter 15, 21 says this, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from the region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away. She is crying out after us. And he said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and she knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus said this, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now, as you look at this story, there are really three things about this mom I want us to know. And I know some of you people out there are like, it's Father's Day and you've got three points to deal with a mother. I get it. Timing was beautiful on this one. But these truths are tr transcend motherhood. They're truths about a parent. They're truths about all of us in the room. So the first thing I want you to notice is found in verse 22. Back with me in verse 22. It says, And behold, a Canaanite woman from the region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Now, what is the moment in her life? She has a daughter that's severely oppressed by a demon. That's her moment. And the question is, how is she going to respond to that moment? She's got a daughter that's being oppressed by a demon. Now, just think about that, this whole demon oppression, a demon possession for a moment. I mean, as you look at the story, there's a part of us going, I'm not sure how well I relate and identify with this lady. She's got a demon oppressed child. Now, many of you may have thought your kids were demon possessed at times in life, but none of us, to my knowledge, some of you are like, yep, that's, they may still be there. But to my knowledge, none of us have had a child that's been demon oppressed or demon possessed. But what I do know is this, and you know this, that for all of us, you see in this story a mother's agony. She is agonizing that her daughter is oppressed by a demon. Now, as a parent, let's just be honest here. As a parent, there's nothing that probably grieves a parent's heart more than when their kids are hurting. Do you believe that, parents? Nothing anymore. In fact, you hurt because what? They hurt. I'll never forget when, uh, when I was serving on staff at a church back in probably 2001, 2002. James was like three. My oldest was like three or four years old. And Sonia had taken James and Daniel, who was a baby, to Tennessee to visit family. And I get a call one day. It was like a Tuesday. And I'm in the office. And she calls me and says, hey, James is really sick. We're going to take him to the doctor and see what's wrong with him. Well, and so she takes him to the doctor. Then I get a call later that day and says, hey, James is going to be admitted to the hospital. He has a severe case of pneumonia. And he's like three or four years old. And I'm like, oh my gosh, she's got pneumonia. And you know, I, and I understand the ramifications. Being in ministry sometimes, can I just say this? Being in ministry sometimes, you know too much about what could happen down the pike because you've been walked the journey with people for too many years and too many times. And so you know what pneumonia could eventually turn into. And so you know when a kid that age who already has a touch of asthma, this could be a really serious deal. And so I was perplexed and distraught. And here's what made it worse. He's like three years old. Because when he turned 15, it like all changed. But at three years old, he's like, I want daddy. Now, how many dads can say their kids said that? I want daddy. Here I am, four and a half, 277 miles away, and he wants daddy. So I was hurting. So guess what daddy does? He gets in my car, and I drive four and a half hours, and I crawl in bed in the hospital with James. Why? Because when he hurt, guess what? I hurt. And parents, aren't we all like that? When our kids hurt, 
we hurt. And the same thing's true in this story. Here's a mom agonizing over her daughter. And so I think in some ways we can relate to this mom because we've all hurt. In fact, we not only hurt when our kids are hurting, we hurt when our kids are rebelling, don't we? Maybe they're rebelling against you. Maybe they're rebelling against God. They've walked away. I mean, as a parent, when your kids are hurting for whatever reason, you hurt, right? It's just natural. And so I think in that regard, we can relate to this mom. But I want you to notice something in the story. In her agony, who did she turn to? Who did she turn to? Come on, not your question. She turned to Jesus. Now, it would be common for you to think this, that she's just one of the crowd who happened to be seeing and hearing all that happened. And so as she thought about her daughter back at home, thought, hey, maybe I ought to go to Jesus. Well, that's not at all what happened. It says that he came to her as she was in the countryside. She came from the countryside to him. In other words, she'd been with her daughter and she'd been agonized over the oppression and she comes to Jesus for the answer. In her agony, she comes to Jesus. Now, let me tell you why that's a big deal. The Bible's clear. It tells us she's a Canaanite woman. Now, you may not know a lot about the Canaanites, but here's one thing you need to know. The Canaanites worshiped other gods besides our God. They did. In fact, if you were to jump all the way back to the Old Testament, when Joshua takes them into the promised land, guess what? This generation that entered the promised land, mom and daddy's the one who knew how to farm and how to do things and, and how to do things they needed to get done to survive. But they're 40 years later, so it's a whole other generation. All they've known is the desert. All they've known is Big Macs falling from the sky called manna. And all they've known is that God provided for them. And so now they're entering this promised land and they don't know how to farm. And God warns them, don't go and get in bed with the Canaanites, because if you go to the Canaanites and tell them, teach us how to farm, they're going to teach you how to farm, but here's what they're going to do. We'll teach you, but you first have to worship our gods. Don't do it. Don't, don't go down that path. Well, Israel, being the genius nation they were, guess what they did? They went down that path. They would go to these other people, these other nationalities, like the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Parasites, all those people, and they would go and ask for help, right? They would ask for help. And the next thing you know, they would fall into idolatry. And so the fact the Bible says this woman was a Canaanite woman lets us know something. She worshiped a different God than the Jewish God. And basically, here's what you could say. She was an adulterous, I mean, I mean, idolatrous, not adulterous. She was an idolatrous woman. She worshiped false idols. But listen to me. In this story, here's what happens. She turns from idolatry, and she turns to who? Jesus. Now, follow me for a moment. She turned away from what she knew, which is idolatry. Listen, you think as a Canaanite woman that she had probably tried out her gods and see if they could do anything? Yeah. And guess what happened? Nothing. And so she turns from idolatry, and she turns to Jesus. Now, here's why that's important for us this morning, because we need to realize her plea with Jesus, her plea is a picture of her repentance. Now, you know what the word repentant means? It means this. It means to be walking one way and to turn around and to go the other way. So when you and I came to faith in Christ, we were walking in sin and walking to eternal separation, and we said yes to Jesus in our lives, we turned and we gave our lives to Christ. That's what repentance is. This woman who was an idolater who worshiped false idols, she turned from her way of life, turned from idolatry, and she turned to Jesus. And even in her plea, we see a picture of her repentance. 
Isn't that beautiful? A woman who'd known one way of life turns it around to Jesus. In fact, I want to say this. Another reason it's so important is that her repentance is actually a picture of her faith. She turned from idolatry and trusting a false God, and she put all her faith in who? In Jesus. She put all her faith in him. She had abandoned everything she knew and said, Jesus, I believe you're the one that can do this. And she's begging with him. She pleads with him. This is what she pleads. She pleads, have mercy on me, son of David. She's like, have mercy on me. She knows she doesn't deserve it. She knows her only hope is to beg for mercy. And she does. And she abandons all that she knows, and she turns and puts her faith in Jesus. So here's what I love about this agonizing mother. Agony pushed her to Jesus. Right? The agony she was experiencing pushed her to put her faith in the Lord. Now, when I look at this story, this lady blows me away. We're going to see more of it. But she just blows me away with her responses and what she does. Now, here's where this should be convicting to us. We are not Canaanites, most of us in the room. We don't worship false idols. Now, sometimes we wrestle with worshiping money and things like that. But I'm not saying you don't worship false idols like this Canaanite woman did. Many of us in the room today would say that we are followers of Jesus. But here's the problem with many of us in the room, that when agony happens and things that agonize our soul, how often are we to turn to Jesus? Or do we turn to other people? Do we turn to the Dr. Phil's of the world? Or we turn to a friend who doesn't know Christ? I mean, oftentimes as a believer, if we're honest, we would say we turn to things other than the Lord to find answers to the things that are tearing our hearts up. This woman was a pagan, and she turned from idolatry, and she had enough sense to turn to Jesus. My question for us as believers, do we have enough sense to turn to the Lord? If there's something weighing us down and burdening us this morning, there's no one like Jesus, no one better than Jesus for you to turn to. Her agony pushed her to Jesus. The second thing I want you to notice is found in verse 23 and 24. It says this, verse 23, but he did not answer her a word. And the disciples came to him and begged him saying, send her away for she is crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, the second thing I want you to notice is not just a mother's agony, but I want you to notice a mother's persistence. Now, when she turned from idolatry and she came on the scene and she's pleading and begging Jesus to do something, how did Jesus respond? What's the Bible said? Let's go back to verse 23. Put it up there if we could. Verse 23. But he did what? He did not answer her a word. He said nothing. She's begging. She's pleading. And she's, she's just basically laying it all on the line, her desperation and agony. And Jesus says nothing. Quick question. Have you ever prayed desperately on your knees, tears streaming down your face, and you feel like God doesn't answer you? Does that mean he's not listening? There's no way Jesus didn't hear this woman, right? Like Bartimaeus on the side of the road. It was only until the second time did Jesus actually stop and notice him. This woman's crying out, and Jesus never says a word. So guess what the disciples do? They come along and say, hey, look, Jesus, obviously you're not overly concerned with this woman because you've not said anything. Let's ask her to go away. 
Let's ask her to go away. In fact, they say that she is crying out. That real original Greek translation should be keeps shouting out. That's the Greek translation. She keeps shouting out. You know what that means? And, and if you were to read it in context, it means she's shouting out and she's not stopping. She's persistent in what she's doing. So Jesus, since you haven't addressed her, let's send her away. Because you know what? She's kind of causing a scene. She's kind of drawing attention we don't necessarily want. We've already been in trouble with the, the Pharisees and guys. So Jesus, let's just send her away, right? Because she's shouting out. She won't stop crying out to you. And what I want you to notice about this mother is even when Jesus didn't respond, she continued to be persistent. She never, ever, ever gave up. I don't know about you, but I'm terrible at this. If I pray once or twice and I don't feel like God's answering it, I just kind of move on. I mean, is that persistence? How many times do we see in Scripture people being persistent in their pursuit of Christ over and over again? Maybe that's an area that we wrestle with. Maybe you like me. Maybe you wrestle with that. I'm kind of the one and done guy. I'm kind of, God, I'm praying for this. I want this to happen. Then when it doesn't happen, I'm like, well, maybe that's not what you want, and I move on. No, no, no. Maybe I just need to be persistent in my prayers. She was persistent. She kept shouting out. Now, would that be a bit annoying if you're the disciples? Just a little bit, right? And then Jesus speaks, verse 24. Here he is. I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, if you're there that day, let's just be real honest because this is kind of a theological mess that we're not going to get into. But if you're there that day, what Jesus is saying is, listen, my primary goal in coming is for the lost sheep of Israel. I came for the Jewish nation. So it seems like what Jesus is saying is kind of hard-nosed, that Jesus is being insensitive, but what's not insensitive, he's wanting these disciples to know, and consequently, she's hearing that his primary ministry at that point was to the lost sheep of Israel. But did that stop her persistence? Did that stop her persistence? No. We got a mom who's agonizing, a mom who's persistent, and then look at verse 25. It says this, and this is where the story gets great. Verse 25, but she came... And she knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it into the dogs. And she said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat and the crumbs and fall into the, off from the master's table. Listen, here's a lady who's begging Jesus to intervene. Here's a lady who's persistently begging Jesus to intervene. And now this lady comes and she's no longer begging. Now she, the Bible says she knelt down before him. That word knelt in the Greek language is the word proskunio, and it means to lay prostrate or to worship. That's what it means. It means that she came and she humbled herself before the Lord. See, this is not only about a mother's agony and a mother's persistence. This is about a mother's humility. This mom came humbly before Jesus, and she knelt down before him. And I love this because you know I like words. Way back a couple of verses ago, it said she was crying out, which means to keep shouting. But notice what it says in this verse. Look with me again at verse 25. And it says this. And she came and knelt before him, verse 25, saying, Lord, help me. Now, is there a difference in shouting and saying? Come on, is there a difference? Yes. And when your kids were three, you understood the difference. Maybe you forgot, but you know the difference. See, she's gone from shouting and continuing shouting to now she comes and she gets on her knees before the King of Kings and the Lord of the Lords and just with a conversational tone, she says, Lord, I need you. 
I need you. I am at the end of my rope, Jesus. I've done all that I know to do. I've turned from idolatry. And I've persistently been yelling and yelling. But Jesus, I just need you to know, you're the only one that can help me. I need you. What a moment, right? And then Jesus says something that makes me want to scratch my head. Look what he says next. And Jesus says, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to dogs. Now think about it. She just showed a tender moment. Tender moment saying, Lord, I need you. And he says, great, but it's not right for me to take the bread from the children and give it to the dogs. Now let me tell you who he's talking about. The children represent the Jewish nation, the Israel nation, the Jews. And dogs represent the Gentiles. Now, dogs, not in the sense of de de uh, degrading them, but he's talking about household pets. His point is this. It's a, it's a word picture that when you're in the house and you have kids eating at the table, is it right for you to take food off of their plate and feed your dog? Now, in the world we live in today, you'd probably say yes, but I'm saying, and that day in culture, the answer would be what? No. The best the dogs could get would be crumbs. You don't feed your dogs from the table. You don't take food away and out of the mouths of your kids to feed your dogs. And Jesus is just saying, listen, I want you to hear me here. It's not right for me to stop doing what I've been called here to do and do all this that you're asking me to do. Now, for some of us, when you read this, my first thought is, okay, when I read what Jesus said, there's a part of me going, man, is he like trying to destroy her faith? But I would say the opposite is true. I would say Jesus said this because he wanted to build her faith. Here's what I mean. Jesus wanted this Canaanite woman to know her place. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that. Okay? Some of you might be offended. Let me tell you what I mean. Not her place in the sense that you're a woman. Because I'm going to tell you something. You read scripture, Jesus showed women dignity as much as he showed men dignity. So it's not about her being a woman. It's about her being a Canaanite woman, about her being a pagan, about her being a Gentile. Yes, she's repented. Yes, she's turned. Yes, she's put her faith in Christ. But he wants her to know her place as a non-Jewish person. And you know what her place was? Unworthy. That's her place. Unworthy. In other words, you are not worthy for me to do what you're asking me to do. Now, here's where that's important for us. Are we worthy for God to respond to our request? Come on, are we worthy? I don't know about you, but I still sin. I still am unfaithful. I still have got issues in my life. And yet some of us, listen, some of us, part of my problem, and maybe it's your problem, sometimes when I pray, I have this sense of entitlement when I pray, that because I love you, Lord, and because I'm trying to serve you, because I'm trying to grind out, you owe me. And when I feel that way, am I knowing my place? No. I feel entitled. Can we just be honest in the world we live in? There's a lot of people who feel entitled. You owe me. And Jesus is like, I don't owe you anything. And everything I've done for you has been out of grace and mercy, not because I owed you anything. I'm telling you, we are all sinners, we all rebel, and we are all faithless. And when we pray and beg God to do something, we are unworthy of him responding. But let me just tell you something. When I understand my place before God, then when he does respond, my gratitude is so sweet. 
My gratitude runs so deep, and my gratitude is something I celebrate and want everybody to know about. But if I feel entitled and he intervenes, there's no gratitude. God owed me. And so he wants this woman with this statement, he wants her to understand her place. Listen, you're just unworthy. You don't deserve for me to do what you're asking me to do. And I'm just telling you, listen to me, that's true for us as well. We sin. We're unfaithful. And when we pray before a holy God, we should never pray entitled and feel like, God, you owe me. You have to do this for me. We should pray understanding, God, we are not worthy to be in your presence. We are not worthy. We know you hear us, but we aren't worthy. But God, we just want to humble ourselves before you and we want you to do something. So when he does do something, man, the gratitude we feel is rich and it is deep. He wanted her to know her place. And listen to this, verse 27. Listen to how she responded to this statement. Verse 27. And she said, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. You know what? She's like, I I know I'm sinful. I know I'm unworthy. I know I'm less deserving than the Jewish people. But I will settle for the crumbs. Because your crumbs that comes from your table is enough to meet my needs. I'll settle. I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm unworthy. I know I'm less deserving. But Jesus, I will settle for the crumbs that you offered. Do you see the humility in what she's saying? I mean, when have we ever prayed like that? Lord, I can, your leftovers are good enough to meet my needs. The crumbs that come from your table are big enough to heal my marriage. The crumbs of your table are big enough to help me fix the financial situation I've got myself. Listen, Lord, whatever you provide, I'm not asking for this food off the table. I'm just asking for the crumbs. Is that not a great sense of humility? Yeah. And this woman had it. And then Jesus says something so powerful as we get ready to close. Verse 28. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking about now, the disciples are like, it's totally not saying anything. This is a moment for them too. And here's what Jesus says. Oh woman, great is your what? Great is your faith and be it done for as you desire. Great is your faith. Isn't it interesting? Just think about this. One of the very few times that Jesus actually brags on the faith of people in Scripture, not a time that I can remember, is it ever a Jewish person. It's never a child of God, one of the Israelites, the children. It's always a pagan. It was the Roman centurion who came, whose daughter was sick. He said, never I've seen faith like that in all of Israel. In other words, your faith is greater than any of the Israelites. And here he looks at her and says, your faith is great. Great is your faith. In other words, your faith is strong. Your faith is persistent. And your faith, it is humble. See, I'm just going to tell you, because I don't know if you're in it like I'm in it, but I'm just going to tell you, when I read this story, she's inspiring to me. She's inspiring to me. And the question I think we all have to ask ourselves, and just think about this for a moment. Do you want to be known as a person of great faith? Do you want to be known like that? 
I mean, you want people when they look at you. In fact, somebody asked me one time, one time I was about to do a funeral, and we were just talking, some of us, like the, 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 the funeral director, and said, you know, if you were going to put something on your tombstone, what would you want it to be? And I can tell you what I want on my tombstone. I want it to be that I was a faithful father, husband, and most importantly, a faithful follower of Christ. I want people to be able to look at me in my life in the end with all my mistakes and all my failures, which are way too many, look at me and go, that man was a man of great Faith, I want that. Do you want that? Do we want that? For people to look at you, no matter what life is thrown at you, and go, you know that Randy Walker? Man, that guy, he's a guy of great faith. That Jose guy, I'm telling you, that guy's a guy of great faith. You know that Claudia girl? I tell you, that's, that's a lady of great, I mean, do we want that? I hope you do. Because if you do, I think we need to possess the same qualities of the Canaanite woman. And I want you to write these down. Here's the first quality. We must take our concerns to Jesus. Quit taking them to ungodly people. Take them to the Lord first. That's where we should start. Because I got news for all of us. He already knows where this thing's going. He's already got a plan in motion. He is the Alpha and Omega. He's the one, as the song says, that holds the whole world in his hands. Let's start by going to him. That's what she did. Second quality I think you see in her life is this, is that she had a heart to never give up. Man, she was persistent. Can I say, the, when we become persistent in our faith, and we keep praying and keep praying, you know what it does? It doesn't, it doesn't persuade God. I mean, this woman didn't persuade Jesus. He already knew what he was going to do. He wanted to build her faith at first. So when we pray harder and longer, it's not like God goes, well, it's going to be a no, but I guess it's going to be yes. That's not what happens. But when I pray persistently, you know what happens? It reminds me of my unbelievable dependence on him. The more I pray, and with more persistence I pray, I'm reminding myself I need him. That's what I need. And so we need to never give up. Third thing, we need to humble ourselves before the Lord. Now, we may talk about humility a lot in church, but that's harder to do than what we talk about, isn't it? Because when I humble myself, here's what that literally means. It means to empty myself before the Lord. Lord, I'm trading in my heart, my desires, my hopes, my dreams, my wishes, and I'm yielding and surrendering to yours. I'm emptying myself, Lord. And so when we humble ourselves before the Lord like that, we're reminding ourselves that we know that he's on his throne and that he is in control and that nothing has happened has caught him by surprise. Humble ourselves for the Lord. Or fourth thing is this. We need to commit to trusting him no matter what. I'm going to speculate here real quick because we don't know. But what if Jesus had not healed the daughter? You think she, the Canaanite woman who still had faith in Jesus? I do. You know why I do? Because I like word studies. And I study the words. And there's a moment of plea that is a tender faith, a plea of faith, like we don't just see every day. There's a sensitivity and humility that can't be manufactured and mustered up. It was of the heart. And my thing is this, we need to commit to trust the Lord no matter what. What if he doesn't heal you from cancer? What if he doesn't do what you've asked him to do? Is he still faithful? Come on, is he still faithful? Yes, he's faithful. And we need to commit to trust him no matter what. Lord, I trust you no matter the outcome. 
So here's my thing. If we want to be people of great faith, we need to have these qualities in our life. We need to take our concerns to the Lord. We need to never give up, humble ourselves before the Lord, and commit to trusting him no matter what. Now, I don't know where you're at today, but here's what I know. Maybe there's some of you today that need to take the step the Canaanite woman took, and you need to turn from your sin, and you need to turn to Jesus. You've never trusted him as your savior. And let me just tell you, there's not a method to it. It's as simple as this. It's as simple as you acknowledging that you are a sinner and that you desperately need Jesus to be the Lord and savior of your life. And if you will declare that, the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe it in your heart that God is raising from the dead, you will be what? Saved. And some of you may, be, may make that decision today. Others of you, listen to me, others of you today, maybe you're a believer in the room. And the decision you need to make today is you feel like, hey, I need to humble myself before the Lord. I need to empty myself today. Because let's be honest, sometimes we go through life and we build up on pride, don't we? We build up on our own confidence and what we can do and we don't go to God. And so maybe we need to empty ourselves today. Maybe we need to find ourselves alone at this altar and we just need to humble ourselves before a holy God and say, Lord, I need you more today than I've ever needed you. And for some of you, this altar is going to be open if you need it to come and to humble yourself. And declare your dependence on him, but also declare that you know he is in control. And then there's one more group of people in the room. There's maybe those of us that are like me that need to recommit to trusting the Lord no matter what. And here's how I want you to respond. And it's going to seem really bizarre, but I want you to stay with me. I want you to sing this morning the song of invitation. We said, I got to sing it every time. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about singing words on a screen and hoping you kind of hit a right note here and there. I'm talking about belting from the bottom of your soul. Here's why. Because in a moment, we're going to sing a song and you're going to hear this line. Whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, it is well with my soul. Hey, listen, when cancer comes, can we say that? When loss of a loved one or a job, can we still say that? See, there's some of us that need to come to a place today that this song becomes our anthem. This song is our response as believers today, that if you're sitting there today and you need to recommit to trusting him no matter what, we need to sing the song from the depths of our soul and say, Lord, no matter what comes my way, it is well with my soul because you can be trusted. And so if that's you, I'm going to ask you to sing and sing and sing. Don't block out the person beside you and worship the Lord with this song. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Everybody stand if you would. Every head bowed and every eye closed. And I'm going to pray for us and lead us in this time. Lord, I love you. And I thank you for this moment. God, I thank you for this Canaanite woman who turned from idolatry and she turned to Jesus. And God, I know there may be somebody in this room today that needs to be their story today to turn from their sinful ways and say yes to Christ, Lord. And Father, I pray if that's the case that they would just simply acknowledge their sinner right now, just say that they're a sinner And recognize they need forgiveness of their sin. And they would surrender their life to Jesus. Say, Lord Jesus, I make you boss and master of my life. And Lord, if they've done that, your word tells us that all who call upon your name shall be saved. Thank you for that, Lord. And then God, I pray for those that are believers in the room. That somehow they feel like they need some alone time with you at this altar. And they just just need to empty themselves. They just need to declare to you that they truly need you and they truly understand that you are on your throne and you're faithful. God, I pray for those that when that moment comes, 
that they feel led, that they would come to this altar. But God, I pray for those that are going to still be in their seats. Those that are like me that say, I need to continually remind myself to commit to trust the Lord no matter what. No matter what the outcome is. No matter what happens. No matter what path he takes me down. I will trust him. And God, I pray for that, that this song that we're about to sing would be our anthem. It would be our response to you. So God, be with us during this time of invitation. May we be faithful to respond. Of course, in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. Everybody say amen. And listen to me today. If a moment ago you said yes to Christ or you need to talk about it, I'll be right here. Or you can take that welcome card in your folder on the very back. Say, today I gave my life to Christ. Mark that. Or say, I've got questions. And later you can put it in the offering plate. We'd love to talk to you about it. And if you're the believer that feels like you just need to get some alone time with God and just declare your need and dependence on him, this altar's open. But if you're like Doug and you just need to be reminded today that no matter what, I'm committing to trust you. Would you allow this song to be your response to him today? So as the Lord leads you, would you be faithful and courageous to respond?